Welcome to Broad Eye, the podcast that explores knowledge gaps in ophthalmology and eye care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Broad Eye podcast. My name is Sean Maloney, and today I am here with a very special guest, uh, Ashley Alexander. Ashley is a certified ophthalmic technician, and she's special in many ways, in part because I think this is the only episode I've ever recorded on a weekend. So Ashley, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to, to be speaking with you today. <laughs> great, great. So I think most people in the field have heard of ophthalmic technicians or technologists, and there's some different certifications out there. So I was hoping that maybe we could start off by just touching on the ophthalmic technician certification program and you know what that looks like for people who might be interested. Sure. So the certifying body of allied ophthalmic personnel um, is actually offered through IJACAPA, which is the International Joint Commission of Allied Health Personnel in Ophthalmology. It's a long name. Um, And they offer several different certifications, but their core certifications are the Certified Ophthalmic Assistant, which is the entry-level position, uh, Certified Ophthalmic Technicians, and then the... um, Certified ophthalmic medical technologist, which is kind of the the top tier of of training within um, ophthalmic personnel. Um, So applicants are tested and expected to have knowledge in a variety of content areas. So they're tested on the different clinical and personnel functions within eye care, um, the different subspecialties within ophthalmology, ocular anatomy and physiology, uh, safe practices within the clinic. Various skills are, um, are taught, such as um, conducting patient assessments, such as history taking, visual acuity testing, slit lamp biomicroscopy, tonometry, lensometry, visual field testing. So a lot of the um, specialized testing required by ophthalmologists to kind of um, complement their, their um, physical exam of the patient. Um, Applicants are also tested on their knowledge of clinical optics, um, surgical assisting, so a huge um, variety of different content areas. And there are different ways that one can become eligible to write these exams and gain these certifications. Um, Number of years of work experience is one of them, but the one way that I can truly speak to, um, and that I think is a really um, important way of, of gaining certification, is the eligibility through a formalized training program, an accredited training program. Um, And one of the benefits of a training program is eligibility to write these certifications without having any prior work experience. But really the true benefit is the opportunity for a higher quality of eye care for the community. Accredited programs set the standard of care and studies have actually shown that employing educated, trained, and qualified professionals actually contribute to the efficiency and quality of an ophthalmology practice. There was actually a, a study published in 2011 in the Canadian Journal of Ophthalmology, and 82% of ophthalmologists stated that allied ophthalmic personnel added more value to their practice, and the training of qualified ophthalmic medical personnel is actually very much needed by ophthalmologists and that the you know, overall productivity of their practice actually improves by, by having these well-trained certified staff. Okay, so you alluded to some of the uh, training in, that you have to do in your program, which is certainly uh, covers a lot of domains. I was hoping to use that maybe as a 
uh, springboard to talk a little bit about some of the tests that you do in the clinic on a, on a regular basis, you know, so maybe you can highlight some of the different tests and exams you'll do with patients and, you know, what's involved in those tests and, you know, what's the utility of those. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we are pretty much involved in that initial assessment of, of the patient for the ophthalmologist. Um, so we conduct the patient workup, which is obtaining a, a history of their present illness, a past medical history, past ocular history, family history. We measure visual acuity. Um, we do pupil checks, tonometry, so measuring the intraocular pressure. We're also trained to do pupil examination um, and ocular motility testing. And outside of the exam room, exam lane, we do a lot of more specialized testing. So visual field testing, which is measuring a patient's visual field and their peripheral vision and determining if they have any blind spots or areas where where they're not seeing properly. Um, We also do uh, ophthalmic photography. So that can range from anterior segment photography, imaging the front of the eye, to posterior fundus photography, intravenous fluorescein angiography, we are trained to perform, um, as well as um, OCT, which is a, just a huge part of ophthalmology these days. Um, and we also are trained in ophthalmic ultrasound, uh, more at the technologist level. And that includes B-scan, which is basically a two-dimensional image of the back of the eye. We're looking at the internal structures, A lot of the time it's when the doctor can't see into the eye because of some sort of, um, maybe there's an opacity like a vitreous hemorrhage or a dense cataract. Um, So we're looking behind to see if there's anything going on within the vitreous and the contour of the back of the eye. Um, We do axial biometry for measurements for cataract surgery. And um, we also do electrophysiology um, testing as well at, at the higher level. So there is a huge kind of skill set. And, you know, depending on the level of training that the um, ophthalmic personnel has obtained, the, the skills kind of go along with that. Okay, no, well, that's, uh, <laughs> there's a lot involved there. So that's, no, that's good. I think you yeah. give a nice, uh, a nice overview there. But I want to touch on another set of skills because you're highlighting the, we'll call them hard skills, uh, so to speak, of the trade. But I think there's some other, call it soft skills uh, or people skills that are, that are needed. And I've heard different stories, and maybe you have any, uh, or maybe have some, of when you've had to, you know, kind of take over for an ophthalmologist, uh, explaining things to a patient about a, a diagnosis or, uh, or what's going on because the ophthalmologist has to you know, move on to the next patient. Obviously, there's pressure on them to uh, yeah. see as many patients as possible. So have you found yourself in that role before trying to you know, be the information giver, so to speak, because the ophthalmologist is uh, short on time? Oh, absolutely. And you know, this kind of loops back to the need and the importance of, of well-trained um, and educated allied ophthalmic personnel, because patient education is, is so important. And within ophthalmology, you know, it's such a fast-paced, high-volume area of medicine, the ophthalmologist can't always take the time that they want to with the patient, right? And so being able to kind of fill that gap um, for the position you're working with is incredibly 
from my perspective, I find it incredibly fulfilling and rewarding to be able to offer that to the patient. You know, a lot of times a patient will come away from um, an examination with the doctor and, and have lots of questions after they leave the room. And you being there able to answer their questions, whether it's about their eye drops, whether it's about, you know, what exactly, you know, what is glaucoma and, and why is it so important that I take my eye drops? Um, you know, maybe you're seeing them for, for a specific test and, and they want to understand why do I have to do this visual field test again? You know, I did it three months ago. Why are you making me do it again? So I think it's just really important to be able to educate our patients so that they can, you know, really better care for their, for themselves and, and their overall eye care, um, eye health. And, um, you know, I think it benefits a practice greatly to, to, to have allied health personnel that, that can fill this, can fill this void. Um, you know, one, the clinic that I'm working in right now, um, we have ophthalmic scribes and actually it wasn't until I joined a private practice that I really had experience with ophthalmic scribes. It's a pretty big, um, area in the States. Um, lots of clinics utilize that, but, um, in Canada, not so much that I, that I've seen, but scribes really kind of take over once the physician leaves the room, you know, they're explaining the drops, they're explaining any appointments they have to set up, um, surgical signups, um, you know, just even ordering blood requisitions and MRI, CTs, getting all those, you know, moving for the patient. Um, it's a really important role to the eye care and the healthcare and overall well-being of the patient, really. Oh, so that's, uh, uh, you know, I want to maybe put a pin in that concept of uh, working in a private practice. We can come back to that uh, um, a little bit later, but I wanted to also you know, did I dive a little deeper into the art of your job? Um, because mm-hmm. I feel like it's not something that everybody can do. It's not as simple as, okay, hey, you can do these. Uh, or not that everybody could do well. Um, it's not as simple as, hey, can I do these different tests and explain the results and everything to patients? I've heard some stories and we've talked previously, and maybe we can share one or two of those stories of how the job can be a bit more of an art than a science sometimes, especially when you're dealing with patients with uh, with any kind of special needs, right? It's not as simple mm-hmm. as, you know, the ophthalmologist says, Hey, uh, Ashley, go and perform this visual field or this, uh, this OCT. And it's, you know, it's not that every patient that walks through is a, is a robot and is either a compliant or be, you know, able to easily comply. So maybe you can talk to that a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. So, Certainly there are times where you've kind of found yourself in a situation that you have to perform a particular test on a a person that, you know, may not um, be completely suitable for, for that particular test. So an example may be, um, you know, a, a visual field on an Alzheimer's patient. Visual field testing requires, um, patient cooperation. It requires patient input. Um, you know, the patient is asked to maintain a fixation point. They have to understand to press a button each time they think they see a flash. They have to understand, you know, that they must blink normally, but, but not look around for the different lights. So, you know, you can understand how if, if a patient has some sort of cognitive um, disability in any way, 
that that could be quite difficult. And, you know, sometimes I think, um, you know, with ophthalmology being so high volume, fast paced, you can kind of go into autopilot mode and, and, you know, obviously having visual fields is, is very, very important and, and helpful for, for diagnosis, but not always obtainable. Um, so you have to try to, you know, just work with, with really with what you can get in a lot of ways. Also just, you know, part of the art is learning to gauge types of personalities, you know, so learning that, you know, the patient that you're sitting across from is that person that needs more explanation. They want to know what's going on with their eye. They want to know absolutely every step you're taking throughout this, throughout this particular test. Um, and it helps them feel more at ease. It helps them be more confident in your skills and knowing that they're, you know, receiving great care where some other patients, you know, they may be anxious. They may do better, not really knowing the, the nitty gritty and fine details of, of what we're going to be doing today. I mean, for example, one of the tests that we perform, um, a UBM, which is an um, anterior segment ultrasound, it's probably one of the more, I say, invasive tests, not really invasive, but it, it requires a lot of patient cooperation in that we lay the patient back, we put a drop of freezing in their eye, we place a shell on their eye and we fill that with a sterile saline solution. We put a probe in that is oscillating rapidly. And this is all while they're awake. And it can be a little bit unsettling for a patient to kind of have a cup of water sitting on their eye while, you know, having a probe right in front of their eye, rapidly oscillating. Like it can, it can be a little bit, um, it can be a little bit intimidating and scary. So, you know, maybe not giving a ton of detail about the procedure you're, you're going to perform for those patients that are squeamish. Um, but also recognizing that there are patients that are going to do much better if you, if you explain to them absolutely every step of the way. So, you know, it's just through time and experience that you're able to kind of gauge those personalities and, um, really, you know, really just, learn how to, you know, do your job in the most efficient and most, um, the easiest way that you can for yourself and the patient. Yeah. I think you did a pretty good job of making that sound like a sci-fi, <laughs> sci-fi horror experience. <laughs> oh, uh, I know. The, whenever know. I explain the test, the, the patient looks back at you with their eyes just wide open, like you're going to do what? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Sometimes yeah, you're yeah. better off knowing sometimes right so I, I, yeah. I, I experienced like that the dentist once and they're you know just just a basic uh, procedure and having them ask them to kind of explain all the steps I'm like thinking like man they're doing a lot of stuff here I just better yeah cl- close back and uh, you know they have one of these TVs in the ceiling it's like I'll just close back and lay back and just look at the ceiling yeah. and just let them do their thing so yeah um, exactly so you've previously worked in a, a low vision clinic and mm-hmm. I'm wondering if a was that part of your uh, ophthalmic technician training uh, and B is it something that you feel that you've taken um, some knowledge or perspective away from and can use that in to better function in your current role absolutely I mean so to answer your first question low vision training wasn't a large part of my um, my training program at the time that I took it um, but I was actually fortunate to become closely involved with the development of the vision rehabilitation clinic 
at the Kingston Health Sciences Center during my first year of uh, working after graduating my program. Um, Dr. Mark Bona of the Department of Queen's Ophthalmology really recognized the dire need for an integrated system um, and area for individuals with vision loss that focuses you know, on safety, independence, and quality of life. So he started a small low vision clinic um, and it was small. It was just me and him really. I would perform the microperimetry testing with the patient. Dr. Bono would conduct the assessment afterwards. And as the clinic became more and more established, Dr. Bono and I um, developed more of a role for the ophthalmic technologist in the visual assessment of a low vision patient. So, um, you know, besides performing the microperimetry, we would, you know, do a manifest refraction, make sure that, you know, is this patient really seeing the best that they can actually see? We would test their visual acuity using the ETDRS chart. We do contrast sensitivity training, um, sorry, testing. And we would also do um, different, just different tests in terms of um, how lighting can affect um, their quality of vision. And being involved in that low vision clinic was just such a contrast to where I was submerged in my training in that high paced, fast environment, you know, from the 80 person AMD clinic, going down to only seeing maybe four patients in an afternoon, you, because you're doing more of that psychosocial aspect of these eye diseases and how they're affecting a person's well-being their everyday tasks um, of living and, and how they're affecting their personal relationships with their family and friends. I think it really helped me to develop more empathy. Um, I think it taught me to be able to have more difficult conversations with, with the patients and to really get insight into their daily lives and how vision loss is really affecting them, affecting their friends, their family. Um, it is really, I think was a really critical part of my training outside of my training program. I think it's, um, it was a great experience and I'm proud to have been a part of it and, and everything that it's becoming, I sit back and watch and it's, and it's wonderful to see. So, um, yeah, I, I think that low vision is such a, is such, it, it's an area that doesn't have enough attention to it. And the fact that Dr. Bona is working to, to shed some light on that area is, is really inspiring. And, and I'm, yeah, I'm just happy to have been a part of it. You know, and you touch on something that uh, like the whole psychosocial aspect and, you know, how, low vision is affecting patients. I've heard this from other guests and other friends as well uh, who mm -hmm. work in this space. And just that, you know, the one, these ophthalmologists who, you know, oftentimes the low vision training is not a, you know, a major focus of their academic and, and clinical training. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've heard certain people express, so we have a mutual friend, I won't name her at this point, uh, a mutual friend who is a, a future guest, but uh, um, she's mentioned to me before that, uh, you know, I'm there to, you know, treat the eye, but once the person is, reaches a certain point and I can't do too much more, I mean, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, Hey, go mm -hmm. to, go to the low vision clinic or, or mm -hmm. whatnot. Um, and, uh, you know, I think having that experience and, you know, a, 
dealing with that psychosocial aspect allows someone to probably better treat the patient overall mm-hmm. and not just uh, not just the disease, right? So definitely, yeah. I think it's something that uh, you know more attention should be should be brought to. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Well, just a, a little antidote to that. I mean, I remember one of my first patients that I, I'm not going to say I, I became close with, but really affected me and had made an impression on me. She, you know, she was legally blind and only ate foods out of cans because she didn't know how to cook for herself with her vision loss. And, you know, that just really stuck with me, like thinking every day, just the fact that she could only operate a can opener and the microwave, Um, you know, that just really drives home, like, oh my goodness, you know, you know, treating the eye, yes, is one part of it, but there's just a huge other part to it. Right. And like, you know, what is life after vision loss? No, for sure. And listen, I, I live that on a, on a daily basis as well. Yeah. So I can, I can certainly um, uh, relate to that. Yeah. And uh, I want to go back to something that we put a pin in earlier, so to speak um, about private practice. So hmm. you, used to work in a clinic uh, in a hospital, I believe, and then Mm -hmm. migrated to private practice. And you um, alluded to uh, at least one difference of working in a private practice, and that is the availability of these ophthalmic scribes, um, at least in some practices. I was wondering if there's anything else you want to share or anything, uh, any insights uh, on the benefits or drawbacks of working in private practice? Absolutely. So I I did work um, for eight years in a hospital setting. It was an incredible experience um, to be a part of, a, of an organization, a department of ophthalmology with all the different subspecialties. Um, moving to private practice, I've, I've noticed, you know, you have much more autonomy. You're able to shake up certain processes and try things a different way to try to make things more efficient, to maybe make the patient care experience better. And you're able to do that pretty much immediately with having to go through so much red tape. You know, you decide one day you want to try something and, and you, you know, you work towards implementing it the very next day. Whereas when you're part of a larger organization, unfortunately, it's just not that easy. Um, you know, you're having to pitch your ideas to, to a, uh, you know, a, a board of directors maybe that, that don't have experience within ophthalmology and you're trying to, you know, explain to them why this change would be so important and, uh, you know, just gaining that permission and um, to move forward just takes, takes time. And for myself, I found that a little bit frustrating. Um, and I, and I was drawn to, you know, there must, there must be an easier way to make change. Um, and you know, being in the private practice, you know, I've, I've been there almost a year now and it's, um, it's, it's been incredible. It's, you know, being able to bring forth ideas, you know, right away, um, making just small changes that impact in a huge way. Um, especially too, it's, it was strange moving to a whole different type of system in, in light of COVID as well. I mean, maybe one of the drawbacks could be, you know, you know, limitations of, of resources being more accessible when you're part of a larger organization, you know, you're just, you have access to, to a few more resources. Um, 
the other thing that um, I've really noticed since moving to private practice, which, you know, I, I, I think I took for granted being in the hospital was the collaboration among subspecialists, you know, uh, subspecialties, right? So, I mean, in a private practice, a lot of the time you don't have that broad range of um, subspecialties under your roof, you know, where in the hospital, you know, you could walk down the hall and ask for that retinal opinion or ask for that plastics opinion regarding, you know, a patient you were just examining for glaucoma. Um, or, you know, so it, it, it can be a little more, you know, streamlined that way. Um, and that is certainly something that, you know, it, I wouldn't say is a roadblock, but it's, but it's just, it's a little bit different. Um, but I, I think that that's probably the, one of the, one of the only drawbacks I'm seeing really right now, um, I'm really enjoying my time in private practice and um, looking forward to, to more years of experience in it. It sounds like the kind of an ideal combination would be, uh, you know, some of the agility and, um, you know, freedom of uh, operation a little bit uh, within a private practice combined with the access and to the resources um, and subspecialties and whatnot that are often found within the same, uh, in, in a given hospital, somehow yeah. put all that, to, all that together. And uh, it seems like you kind of get the best of, of both worlds, right? Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. And I mean, technology is making that easier and easier. And I think that's one of the things that COVID really shed a light on too, was all these technology advances and how, you know, we're able to provide actually quite good care through that. And, um, and being connected to the different areas. Um, yeah, much better now. Well, I think, yeah, there's been a lot of telemedicine happening. And I think one of our, our future guests is actually going to be talking, uh, uh, talking to that point about uh, telemed- telemedicine in ophthalmology. So listen, this is uh, this has been a lot of fun for me, Ashley. I certainly uh, appreciate you taking the time to speak with me and uh, you know, I've definitely learned something about, the role of uh, an ophthalmic technician. I certainly had a little bit of insight into um, the uh, the intricacies uh, from previous conversations with you and, and others, but uh, I hope the audience certainly takes something away from this. So I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank you for joining me today. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I hope I was able to kind of shed a bit more light on our profession and, and the importance, at least I think how important it is, um, how it complements a um, a practice and organization in healthcare to, to have, um, you know, allied ophthalmic personnel as part of your team, as a collaborative member of your team, you know, to try to, to try to keep trying to close those gaps and improve patient care. Excellent. No, for sure. I think that's exactly. And that's what we're trying to, to do with the podcast is kind of bridge that knowledge gap. And I think, uh, a good part of what you're doing in your role is kind of bridging that, to that gap that exists in, in the clinical side. So thanks again for, for joining me today. Thank you so much.